0: Coming up on this episode. I feel like if people would just get over this hangup that they have that, oh my God, our kids, you know, are having sex or, or the disbelief that they're not, you know, so I um, just get that out of our heads and let's give our kids tools to protect themselves and, um, you know, handle, you know, and negotiate potential sexual encounters in a healthy way, you know, I think that. Um, we would see a, a tremendous amount of improvement.
1: So, welcome to Public Health Musings. I'm your host, Dr. Caroline Kingori, a faculty member and researcher at Ohio University. And we are so glad today to be learning and hearing from Dr. Marshall. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, Dr. Marshall.
0: Well, thank you, Dr. Kingori. Um, so I am a native Arkansan. I work here now at the college of public health at the university of Arkansas for medical sciences. Um, this happens to be an institution where I got my master's in public health degree. Um, so being able to work here again as a faculty member, um, is a bit of a homecoming and, um, also, you know, just a really, um, you know, unique and fulfilling opportunity. Um, And I, you know, started um, my path in public health back in, I don't know, (laughs) 2005 or six, and um, happened to meet you at Indiana University um, when we were getting our doctorate degrees. And, um, you know, I think the work just kind of um, really... Took off from there, um, getting more involved with the LGBTQ community, um, addressing um, health disparities, uh, perceived priorities uh, of the community, such as you know HIV, as well as um, bullying and mental health, and just general access to um, adequate, appropriate, and affirming healthcare. Um, so I've been doing that for a while. It's um, it's. Not fraught with challenges, uh, or excuse me to say it is fraught with challenges, um, especially here in the South and and um, in my state of Arkansas. but um, each time we are able to um, you know light a little candle, um, we are starting to see more of the world around us become illuminated, and so in that way it is it it is rewarding so.
1: Awesome. And I I recall the first time we met at Indiana University at at now the School of Public Health. And, you know, I think it was, I don't know whether it was a stats class. And the first thing you said to me, you're like, I like your coat. I was so
0: jazzed because I was like, she is so well dressed, you know. (laughs) Uh, I do like clothes. I get that from my mom. <laughs> exactly.
1: And that's the first thing I noticed. And then, you know, just your smile, your welcoming demeanor. And I was like, yeah, we, we're going to be friends for a while, oh, for a long time. And it was exactly. really exciting to, you know, to have you as part of my cohort and here we are.
0: So, I know. So few years and Here later, we are, right? you know, both <laughs> faculty members and and man, you are what interim department chair or something? Which is wow. You know. I know it's it's interim associate dean of research.
1: So. Whoa! Excuse me. Excuse <laughs> me. Even even bigger. Whoa! <laughs> so exciting! It's it's just so good to see the progress from our cohort. And as I was telling you earlier, congratulations on on receiving tenure, even after having moved, um, you know, to a different institution. Uh, this process is not easy at all, uh, being a faculty member and having graduated so young with your PhD. So uh, I really commend you on on this journey this far two kids later right (laughs) thank you (laughs) it has been a journey (laughs) right right so you know you talked about being in public health um since 2005 and is this something you always wanted to do like how did you get to this point and even decide to go into academia
0: okay yeah so public health is not necessarily something i always wanted to do per se um I didn't really know what public health was until I uh, was completing my undergraduate degree, um, at the university of Arkansas, at Fayetteville. Um, and I was majoring in biology and broadcast journalism at the time. I thought I was going to go to medical school and, um, I thought I'd be the next Dr. Nancy Schneiderman who was, you know, a medical correspondent on the news and, <laughs> um, because I liked to talk to people about health and try to educate folks about ways to take care of themselves and their communities um, to, you know, live their best lives. And uh, I just really wanted to do that in some way. Um, I was exploring medical schools. And when looking at this university, the campus houses not only a a college of medicine, but also a college of public health. And I started inquiring about what that, was um what do people do there <laughs> you know and um and that was when i did some research and just felt in love it just felt like the stars aligned this i was like that's what i'm meant to do you know um you can do health education study and uh, health behaviors so that way you can get a better picture of why people do what they do and how it affects their health um, and that also, you know, informs the, the community-based interventions that we do to improve lives. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's that's how I ended up getting into this field, really. And I find that
1: is a really um, common story among us people who are, you know, in public health, just the idea of helping and, you know, trying to enrich our communities and, And finding ways to improve health outcomes seems to be a theme among people who are, you know, in social work or public health or in those um, uh, careers, you know, that are considered sort of helping careers. But when you started with your introduction, you talked about how you have this varied interest, right? You look at health disparities among the LGBTQ community, you have HIV, also focus on adolescent sexual uh, sexual health and development. So, what really motivated you um, to look at all those different, distinct um, fields, if you will?
0: Yeah, they they are separate and distinct. Um To me, they're also interrelated. Um, To me, they all fall under the umbrella of, um, you know, sexual reproductive health. Um, But at the same time, you know, because growing up here in conservative southern states, you know, there was really no um, sex education. It was abstinence only um, based education, a lot of fear tactics to scare you know, kids into not having sex. Um, But also, you know, so beyond that, um, I had several friends because I was always involved in um, theater, ballet. Um, I had many friends who were members of the LGBTQ community. Um, I had My actually my senior prom date um, came out to me as gay. um, And he said, you know, well, this was before we decided to go to the prom together. Actually, we were were just friends and he shared that with me. But he also followed that quickly with "And you're only one of three people that I've told and will tell. Um, So, um, you know, uh, and of course, I just was like, well, that's cool. You know, (laughs) uh, thank you for sharing that. Love you. Let's go to prom. It'll be fun. (laughs) You know, um, we we talked about that, though, to some extent, you know, and I I found it um, a bit unsettling that, you know, someone would be so scared um, and unable to be their full self um, with friends, with family. um, And that sort of opened my eyes to needs that were unmet with, um, youth in particular. Um, so all that said, I thought, you know, coming into public health, um, we could tackle education, sexuality education, um, whether it be in schools or communities or whatever, um, as well as education in our healthcare systems, um, and hopefully kind of come at some of these issues from different sides you know I think you know something that we've learned in our public health education coming up is that you know you really need a multi-pronged approach to tackle a lot of health disparities so so that's kind of for me you know how that came about
1: so just to follow up how do you feel about sex ed
0: now um in Arkansas or in the south yeah um sadly not much has changed (laughs) Um, I feel like we were making, as sexual educators, we were making some headway, um, for about the last five years-ish, five to ten years. Um, well, and then with, quite frankly, some of the last, um, you know, federal administration that was in place, um, things shifted again, um, were more restrictive. Um, Some of the organizations, state organizations and organizations that had funding, um, had that funding removed or, you know, so some of those efforts um, have fallen to the wayside. The, the last presidential administration did fund a lot of sex ed, but it was, they would only fund abstinence only. And um, so I don't know. I, I have a lot of, mixed feelings about where we are most of them are a little bit negative but um (laughs) i remain optimistic remain hopeful i mean if i feel like if i don't remain somewhat optimistic then you know (laughs) i'll lose the desire to to get up and come to work every day so you have to be optimistic you have to you know keep um keep trying
1: (laughs) And, and if they called on you for, you know, come over, help us, come come up with some policies, what are those changes you would want to see? What are those things that would
0: really make you want to get up and, and go? Yeah, okay, well, that's a good question. Um, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to go for broke. You know, I want to have comprehensive sex ed instituted K through 12, you know, and in all of our public school systems, I mean, I get that private schools and even some charter schools, you can't, you know, do much. It's up to the administration, school boards there. But you know, I I do know that you know the, these are tools that we know work that they help students, you know, develop a, a sense of autonomy over their bodies, um, a sense of um, You know, goal setting, um, and, you know, that they can achieve things they want in life uh, without setbacks, such as, you know, having to deal with, you know, even if it's minor things like STIs, which can most of which can be treated. um, But if it's major things like, You know, how to uh, negotiate sexual encounters so that you aren't assaulted and you can avoid trauma, you know, which can be debilitating, you know, um, and not to mention, you know, avoiding unintended pregnancies. So, you know, there there are tools that we can give our youth that I feel like if people would just get over this idea, this hangup that they have that, oh, my God, our kids, you know, are having sex or, or the disbelief that they're not, you know, so I um, just get that, you know, out of our heads. And let's give our kids tools to protect themselves and, um, you know, handle, you know, and negotiate potential sexual encounters in a healthy way. You know, I think that, um, we would see a, a tremendous amount of improvement. Right. And I'm, I'm in
1: support of those thoughts. Um, I teach an HIV and STI course. And the conversation we have, even at by the end of the course, it's, if we have provided this education and the skills needed, then the, the consequential <laughs> actions of not providing this information, like mm-hmm. an unintended pregnancies that lead to other other things that are being fought against would probably not be problematic. And so the idea that uh, teaching sex ed is going to lead to promiscuity
0: is such an old, old fable tale. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a myth that, and it's been debunked time and again, you know, right, I mean, right. we, we've been able to do some amount of research to show, you know, that with comprehensive sex ed, sexual activity declines, but also protected sex, you know, increases. You know, so, and not to mention, you know, if we can include within that, you know, um, depictions, illustrations, examples of, you know, LGBTQ plus youth. Uh, how they, you know, can help in a healthy way, uh, navigate uh, their identity development and negotiate um, relationships um, that may be somewhat different from, you know, a heteronormative um, teen dating relationship, you know, there, we, I just think that we would see also declines in, you know, um, suicidal ideation and attempt and, You know, there are just, I just feel like these are are tools that are needed and, you know, quite frankly, are called for, you know, from youth. I've done focus groups with both teens and parents and communities, and most folks are on board, you know, they want, you know, this information in their school systems. They want their kids to be equipped on how to protect themselves and have healthy relationships. Youth are all but crying out for help because, you know, we're seeing an increase in um, assault and in abuse and intimate partner violence. Um, And it's because, and they, what I've heard is that, sadly, many don't have healthy role models. So they don't, they don't know um, how to navigate situations um, in a, in a, fruitful way so instead they lash out you know they I mean kids are also a bundle of hormones so you know that their prefrontal cortex is not fully formed they're not rationally thinking so they're just reacting and you know acting and reacting and so without tools on how to better cope with you know certain situations um it's when we see unfortunate consequences
1: right on um and that idea of comprehensive sex ed is is the key um, you know, it's not just teaching them this is how you have sex, but it's about healthy relationships. You know, <laughs> we have this intervention right. that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention yeah. has developed and has even shown that they effective interventions uh, towards, effect, uh, you know, uh, healthy relationships among youth. We can't close our eyes and assume that they're not doing
0: these things um, and they have enough reasons. I know. And if you were so right. And the resources exist. And I think that's partly what's maddening sometimes is that, you know, we have tools, just let us, you know, as the experts implement them, you know, it's like, you know, it can't help but think of like the Jerry McQuarrie, help me help you, you know, (laughs) you want, you want to help folks and you have the ability and the the capacity to do that, but they have to have the willingness. So it's, um, it's tough. It, it, oh, is. <laughs>
1: it, it is possible. I, I work with immigrant and refugee youth um, mm-hmm. who are deep in that cultural, um, uh, you know, centered way of doing things, which there's nothing wrong with culture. It's just sometimes it, it can make things difficult uh, when you're having discussions about topics that are considered taboo. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we've, we're trying to find ways to empower them so that they can access that information on their own, but it's accurate information. Um, what was interesting in, in the research that I've done, um, some of those youth do want to get this sexual health information from their parents. They want to be able to have that conversation with their parents. Sure. They want to have the conversation with their religious leaders. And I found that really impressive, you know, because you you would think youth just want to do their own thing and hang out with their own peers. But they do want that relationship and that interaction with adults, you
0: know. That's right. That's right. And I heard the same thing from my focus groups, you know, it's, you know, they, they want to have these conversations. They want this information, but because that's not there for them for whatever reason, either, you know, they're, they're going to be too scared to initiate or, you know, the, their parents or their religious leaders or whoever are, you know, well, they're, they're un- ill-equipped too. You know, they didn't have education growing up either, so they don't really know what to say or, or how to, you know, navigate those conversations. So because the things are left unsaid, then, you know, kids are to act at what they see in TV, movies, social media. You know, it's that's just the way it is. Indeed. So again, we can reach out to the
1: parents, we can reach out to the religious (laughs) leaders and help provide this information. And I know that uh, CDC also has a few interventions, um, effective interventions targeting such groups. Um, So the work continues, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, you've done amazing work and you started talking about your focus groups and the findings. W- what are some of the other interesting findings in your research work and their public
0: health implications? Okay, well, um, so I guess just kind of wrapping up that, that topic of, of the focus groups with youth. Um, so not only, you know, do we ask about, you know, sex ed, you know, where are you getting any in school? What did it look like? What do you need? What do you, you know, um, that kind of thing. And so for sure, you know, teens want, like we talked about, um, healthy role models. They want to know how to protect themselves and navigate, uh, their relationships. They, you know, want to know how to handle heartbreak, you know, um, they want to know, um, how to help their LGBTQ friends, um, they want to know how to um, be affirming. Um, they want to know how to um, stop bullying when they see it. You know, so, you know they, they want to finish school. They want to know how they can, you know, uh, have kids. Um, and they want to know how to do that beyond not doing it. <laughs> you know um they want to know what all of the contraceptive methods are you know um and what their what what their risks are what their benefits are you know and they want to be able to make informed decisions for um so that they can not only um, protect their bodies but you know develop healthily um and uh, pursue pursue their dreams you know um we also have talked to a lot of transgender, uh, gender nonconforming folks around the state of Arkansas and in other states in the South. Um, and so from those uh, surveys, interviews, um, community engagement conversations, um, we've learned, you know, that um, health care experiences so uh, are not always healthy experiences, sometimes um, seeking care when things have, um, you know, not gone well, whether it's, you know, in unhealthy relationships, or, you know, um, so whether they need um, SCI care, or, you know, they're seeking birth control, you know, pills or contraception, um, what they might have been playing volleyball and broken an arm, you know, whatever the situation is, they're seeking care and they're often met with, unfortunately, um, stigma um, and sometimes uh, trauma and abuse. Um, So the, that then gets, um, that exacerbates whatever situation that they're in. Um, Unfortunately, folks um, then take, a long time to try to return to um, a healthcare setting, um, which can, um, you know, have deleterious effects on their health, um, you know, or just um, prolong initiating treatment for something. Um, anyway, there's just There's a lot that we need to do in terms of education, whether it's in our schools, in our communities, in our healthcare systems. Um, We're working to um, address some of that here uh, on our campus um, and beyond with um, doing a lot of interprofessional education for students um, by having uh, gender affirming care. lessons. We're um, having simulated interactions with trans and non-binary patients for our up-and-coming medical and nursing students. We're also hosting some different panel conversations of community members who can share, you know, what their real lived experiences have been in trying to seek care um, and what they would hope um, healthcare providers would do differently. Um, we have initiatives that are being rolled out with, you know, pronoun stickers and, you um, for patients when they come in. Also our healthcare providers have an extended name badge with their pronouns on the bottom. Um, We're, you know, trying to promote more um, literature and posters to, you know, showcase like, this is all are welcome. This is, we're trying to be a welcoming place, um, an inclusive place for healthcare. Um, We're also, you know, systematically trying to address um, not just the education for up and coming healthcare providers, but also current providers on how they can be more affirming and change some of their their practices and protocols to better um, assist folks. Um, And, you know, and, and just showing that it's not about, you know, identifying as trans always. It's some, you know, if you have a more welcoming, inclusive environment, that's better for every patient. You know, that's just patient-centered care. <laughs> and um, so we're, we're trying to do a lot of that, too.
1: Awesome. That sounds like really um, great and innovative work. Um, so as you expand or as you continue um, with your research trajectory, do you see yourself picking up any new topics or expanding in different ways?
0: Well, sure. I think so because I started out with my dissertation interviewing youth, LGBTQ youth who are bullied um, and and that has sort of evolved into what I'm doing now, which is, you know, focusing more specifically on trans and gender nonconforming folks and and, um, you know, any traumatic experiences they have and trying to access health care and how to better um, provide care for them. Um, But I through some of my early work in HIV, that sort of evolved now into collaborating with um, one of my esteemed colleagues who does a lot in the criminal justice system. And so um, getting PrEP linked up to folks as they're released from, you know, the county jail. Um, uh, you know, there is also some work that's happening in our you know state prison systems. Um that I have not been as directly tied to but we have talked about doing some some grant projects there too so uh yeah I definitely never saw myself um doing anything in a jail setting um but you know there you go
1: (laughs) and I think the incarcerated community um, we have not done enough where HIV prevention is concerned uh you know we don't allow Condoms um, in the in, in in prison, and you know there's prep, there's um, some HIV medication, but that's not enough um, if you're trying to change people's behavior. And so more often than not, you know they convert, they sort of convert while they're still in jail, and then when they're released, it's always they find this broken system, um, and 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 trying to track them can sometimes be really challenging. So, uh, I commend you as you you think about moving, uh, you know, or expanding your research to include that that population. There's a lot of need um, with that population. So, as we wind down here, um, there are a lot of people now that, you know, with COVID, public health was put in the limelight for good and bad reasons, uh, (laughs) with all the different changes, that happened. wear your masks, don't wear your masks, you know, all these things, knowing that we were dealing with a health issue, that's a moving target, you know, so you're lining as you go. What advice do you have for people interested
0: in, in public health? Oh, just get involved. I mean, you know, w- there are just so many paths that you can go in public health and every, Individual's journey will be different, no matter what path you choose. Um, you know, mine has certainly evolved, as you know, just mentioned. Um, but it's all worthwhile. You know, I think that anything you can do to get involved in public health, whether it's you know, volunteering at a COVID testing site, or you know. Um, finding out how you can be a community health educator. Um, you know, there are just so many things that you can do, um, paid and unpaid, and um, we need help. <laughs> you know, that I think that's one of the sad parts of the the pandemic um, was the, you know, revelation to a lot of folks of how broken our public health infrastructure is. Um, and so if we can, you know, get more boots on the ground, so to speak, um, to, you know, get out there and improve the health of individuals, families, communities, you know, I think the better off we will be.
1: And and adding on to that, you know, people are often willing to help, but we know from the community participatory research that we do, Mm -hmm. uh, we have to be very Conscious um, and deliberate about how we approach communities. What advice would you give um, from your experiences?
0: Yeah, well, I guess, so, based on what I'm hearing you say, so, to getting involved in in particular communities, yes, you really have to have that Um, buy-in. If you're not a member of that community, you know, um, like, I I don't necessarily identify as LGBT or Q, but... um, you know, I have friends, family members that are. Um, I am connected to different community-based organizations that are LGBTQ-led, um, and have you know their buy-in, their support, their participation in any initiatives that you know we're trying to um, to deliver. You know, and. You know, because really it's not about what I'm doing. It's what about those folks are doing and I'm just facilitating or aiding in some way, Um, you know, because grants do flow in through academic institutions um uh, more often than not, um, at least the big dollars, you know. Um, so, you know, we gotta have those partnerships and, you know, any any of the projects that um I've been leading, it, it's really me co-leading um and partnership with um different folks who are um living the you know out the the issues we're trying to address. So, yeah, you got have to that, have that partnership. Indeed,
1: partnership and empathy, right?
0: Oh, sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So what are your most memorable moments in your work or life
0: to date? Wow. Um, so work or, life. well, I'm going to say work life. So in my work life um, to date, you know, there's definitely, there's a, it's a couple of student interactions that have really stood out um, there had a uh, undergraduate student several summers back who was working on a project with me um, and you know prior to her doing that she was very focused on going into I think psychology um, or something like that and you know, a, after that summer, she said, "You know, you know, it's because of this. I want to go in public health now." You know, and I like, yes, scored one for the team. You know, but um, but it's also, you know, she learned how psychology plays in to you know helping us understand folks so we can better you know meet their needs and and get them to choose healthy behaviors and things like that. Um, but, you know, also, I think she saw how broad it is, but also, so you can almost make it whatever you want it to be, um, and and you can carve out, you know, your your niche. Um, and I, I also have another student who I have just been, when I get teary-eyed, like, just so proud of as she... Um, has finished her doctorate in under my mentorship in this program, and she's doing a postdoc now. And she's just, um, you know, doing all kinds of funded research that is just so good, and um, publishing all these papers, and just really changing the world. And I'm just so, um, you know, moved and and. That I could be a part of of her journey and you know and, and put her out there um, to to do the work that she's doing. So so for sure there are the, those moments that um, I really I really have appreciated having.
1: Oh, I hear you. It's always nice when we see the students just flourishing and it's and a beautiful growing. thing. It really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then mentoring them I, I have a few of those and it's, it's,
0: it's a proud moment. Um, yeah I'm proud that. of my own babies but I'm also very proud of, of my student babies So <laughs> <laughs> I call
1: them the academic babies and yeah. you know see them like starting to crawl when <laughs> their research experience yeah. is concerned right. and then they walk yeah. and they're doing all this amazing and you know presenting at conferences and mm-hmm. just the interpretation of the research and the ability to to articulate that. It's like, oh, my
0: God. And, (laughs) you know, and they're so smart, you know, and sometimes they don't even know how smart they are sometimes. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. heck, much smarter than me. So (laughs) I'm just so, so glad I could, you know, give her, anything you know advice is just keep going you know that's basically what mentorship is half the time is just saying you're doing great keep it up <laughs> and I
1: learned so much from them or you know sometimes you even see yourself from those days uh, mm-hmm. which even helps with uh, in increasing that empathy towards their their needs and and mm-hmm. what they were the challenges that they're facing as grad students I mean you remember those days right <laughs>
0: oh gosh yes i <laughs> out days. many of those days too as a
1: There were some rough days and mm-hmm. so when I can I you know I want to make this experience a little better for them and I appreciate when they you know like smarter than me that's what that's how it's supposed to be um the student should be better than the teacher as they continue growing and and yeah. we never stop learning um right. and I I learn from them every single day so I'm with you on that, with those memorable moments. just so amazing to see them grow and just become this incredible human beings making a difference in the world,
0: right? It is. It's, there's nothing like it.
1: That's for sure. So I want to say thank you so much for speaking with me, despite your busy schedule and just carving this time out to share your experiences and your research. And um, if people want to get in touch with you, how, how do they do that?
0: Oh, sure. There's a couple of ways. Um, you know, I don't know if people still do the Twitter, but, you know, I'm on there. Um, a. Marshall tweets. You can email me at smarshall at UAMS.edu. Um, just Google Alexander Marshall, Arkansas. I'm sure I'll come up. <laughs> there is more than one Alexander Marshall. I acknowledge that. But I don't think there's more than one, you know, in Arkansas and for sure not, not here in, in Little Rock. So
1: awesome. Awesome. So thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who tuned in. And um, I hope to just, you know, follow up with you and, and continue to see the great and amazing work that you're doing. Um, so many years later, we're seeing each other. Likewise. I mean,
0: I just, you know, I, ha- I always, Hold you in such high regard and so i look forward to see you just continue continue doing what you're doing you're doing great things here here i hold you in high regard too
1: and i'm so glad we got to connect again and just reminisce on where, where we've been and where we are and where we're going isn't it? That's great. awesome so thank you again and i uh, talk to you soon okay